generations that have fallen through in that scenario with that federally run process. Now the tribe is in complete control to take that over. I think that what that does and what I hope 10, 20, 30 years from now, we will see those students becoming the next tribal leaders, the next teachers, the next dean of students. Welcome to Keynotes, Stories of Collective Impact, the podcast where we celebrate the incredible efforts of individuals and organizations driving positive change through collaboration. I'm your host, Marcus Chavez, and I'm thrilled to be back with you telling stories once again. And in our fall 2023 return of the Keynotes podcast, we turn our spotlight onto a remarkable initiative that Keystone has been working on for the last three years that has created community collaboration and sustainable development at the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation in Southwest Colorado. The initiative is called Growing Ute Futures, and it is a shining example of what's possible when committed stakeholders at the state and local level come together with a shared purpose. The Ute Mountain Ute community has always strived to nurture its traditions, wisdom, and connection to the land. But in the face of modern challenges that come on the heels of historical injustices, preserving Ute heritage while forging a prosperous future has not been without its hurdles. And those hurdles were only heightened in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2020, at the direction of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribal Council, educators, and families, Keystone Policy Center began facilitating strategic planning to develop an innovative, culturally-based education system for students and their families on the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation. A central pillar of this plan was integrating Ute arts, language, and culture into all levels of education, embedded within a curriculum that focused on science, technology, engineering, native arts, and math. The project that eventually emerged became known as Growing Ute Futures, and it aims to provide an innovative student-focused model of learning and support for all students of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. Over the next several episodes of the Keynotes podcast, we'll delve into the heart of this transformative endeavor. We'll hear from the very individuals who breathed life into the project and nurtured it from its ambitious idea to thriving reality. And we're starting with perhaps the cornerstone achievement of the Growing Ute Futures Initiative, the creation of the Cuyaga Community Academy. understand the significance of the Cuyaga Community Academy, or KCA for short, we need to briefly revisit the history of education for American Indian and Indigenous children in this country. In May 2022, the U.S. Department of Interior released the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative Investigative Report. The report is a comprehensive examination of the history and impact of Indian boarding schools in the United States. The initiative was launched to address the long-standing trauma and repercussions inflicted upon Indigenous communities due to the forced assimilation policies carried out by these schools. The report's findings shed light on the grim realities faced by Indigenous children who were forcibly removed from their families and cultural environments to attend these boarding schools, often facing abuse, neglect, and cultural erasure. The report delves into the historical context of Indian boarding schools, which were established in the 19th and 20th centuries by the U.S. government and religious institutions with the intent of assimilating Indigenous children into Euro-American society. These schools sought to erase indigenous languages, cultures, and traditions and replace them with Western values and practices. Many children also experienced physical, emotional, and psychological abuse during their time at these schools, leading to lasting intergenerational trauma within indigenous communities. 
Manuel Hart, the chairman of the Ute Mountain Ute Tribal Council, shares some insight on this era and its impact on tribal and indigenous cultures. The federal government came in and tried to assimilate tribes in general to have them get away from who they are as traditional people, cultural language, all of that. And they did it through legislation. They fought the war against Native Americans through legislation through the government. And what they did in the boarding school era was really wrong. Ernest House Jr., the director of Keystone Center for Tribal and Indigenous Engagement, explains more about the loss of culture that occurred through this program. And now that we're talking about the importance and history of boarding schools, federally run boarding schools throughout the United States, Colorado had five. Ute Mountain had one on reservation um, as well down in that community. Now, it's interesting because I think about that juxtaposition. You know, here, were, here kids were forced, pulled from their families to go to this school to westernize them at the time of what was important of reading, math, and whatever else, cutting their hair, refusing to use, you know, their language. And now we're actually bringing all that back is very different. That's at the forefront, trying to save those things. As House mentions, Colorado had several of these boarding schools, one of which operated from 1907 to 1942 in Toyok, which is the town that the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation is located. And we received more insight on the boarding school era in Colorado just today, October 3rd, 2023. As History Colorado, which is a 501c3 charitable organization and an agency of the state of Colorado under the Department of Higher Education, publicly released a report entitled Federal Indian Schools in Colorado, 1880-1920. The report is culmination of state legislation signed last year that directed History Colorado to investigate the lived experiences of students at the one-time Federal Native American Boarding School, commonly referred to as the Fort Lewis Indian Boarding School, as well as to identify potential burial places of students who perished while attending the school. The report also gives some general history of the boarding school system in Colorado. Lindreth Wall, who also serves on the Ute Mountain Ute Tribal Council, shares that he was told stories of tribal members praying that the boarding school in Toyok would go away. And when we had our school here, our boarding school here in Toyok, the people that practice our traditional um, prayers and services, and they prayed that the school here would go away. Would really pray, says, that school's no good, it's taking our language, we're getting a beating. You know, it's, it's taking the Indian out of them. Dan Porter is the head of the Cuyaga Community Academy and a longtime educator in southwest Colorado. He shares more about what he has learned about this loss of identity resulting from the boarding school era. One of the tragic parts about the boarding schools that I'm starting to notice, um, we talk about preserving an identity, but unfortunately a lot of generations don't have that identity because it was scared out of them. It was border schooled out of them. They didn't have that opportunity. As I mentioned earlier, eventually the boarding school in Toyok ceased operation, leaving children at the Yumanu Reservation without any local options for education. Tina King Washington, who is the K-12 education director for the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, explains where kids in Toyok would receive their education following the closure of the boarding school. And I'm not sure exactly why our boarding school stopped, but it did. And uh, so BIA, that boarding school, went away. And then our children were uh, bused to Cortez to attend the Cortez Public Schools. Let me just give you a layout of the land, so to speak, of this region of Colorado. 
As I mentioned earlier, the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation is located in the Four Corners region of southwest Colorado in a town called Toyok. Nestled at the foot of the Ute Mountain, which lies to its west, and the awe-inspiring Mesa Verde National Park, which lies to its east. I wish I could adequately explain to you just how incredibly beautiful this weathered area of the country truly is. Anyway, about 15 miles to the north of Toyok is Cortez, a town of about 9,000 residents where students who lived in Toyok would be bused to attend school. Chairman Hart explains the complications that came with busing kids to another town for school. So they're up 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, getting ready, getting some breakfast if they can get it at home, and then getting to the bus stop. So that's the concern that I've had for a lot of years. So for us being bused all the time, buses are not reliable. Weather comes into play, snow days sometimes, or uh, the safety of the, of the roads, of CDOT roads. And sometimes they don't get plowed right away. Then to notify parents that it's canceled or we're on a two-hour delay. So just busing students in general, this has always been a concern for um, our children. Dan Porter shares his insight from an educator's perspective on busing. So a lot of these kids to get on a bus and go up to Cortez, pretty soon you're looking at a 45 minute trip for some of those kids one way. Uh, that's a long time for a kindergartner or a first grader to be on a bus and then put in a long school day and go home. Dylan Mills, the vice president of the Cuyaga Community Academy Board, was bused from Toyok to Cortez as a student and shares his firsthand experience with busing. I went to school over in the Montezuma Cortez uh, School District. Um, it was definitely an experience of itself being able to understand that I came from one community area or confined from one area to the next for educational resources. And make that accessible was definitely a challenge for everyone in this community, in my community, to take that early drive, um, bus drive. Um, leaving our community an hour early from our households to that to go on to that journey of um, institution that they were assigned to. The 15-mile bus ride was not the only separation between Toyok and Cortez. A chasm between cultures also existed. And just like the boarding school era, Native students felt a need to assimilate to fit into the dominant culture in which they were being educated. Dan Porter shares more. I've had kids tell me, um, that they had to change who they were from going to Toyok to go to Cortez. I have to change who I am. I have to be different. I had a friend tell me that a kid told him it was like passing through a veil. I was this way in Toyok, now I have to be this way in Cortez. And I, that was real powerful to hear that he'd been told that. Here's Dylan Mills to again share his firsthand experience as a student bust to Cortez disregard yourself in the cultural sense that you know you practice because you're going to a different field where the dominant um, the, the dominant population whatever sectionality that I would ever feel most comfortable in or what or that I was going to was practicing a lot of different things that was just foreign to me. The class of cultures predictably led to difficulties in the classroom. Tina King-Washington shares the experiences she had working as a liaison between Toyok and the Cortez Public School District of the current setup only continuing the cycle of disillusioned possibilities. As the education director, I was in many classrooms talking to many parents. Parents would come and sit with, like we are today, and say, you know what, my child is not happy at school. The teacher doesn't like him. The kids pick on him. I, 
daily I was hearing this and I would go up and talk to the teacher well he just doesn't pay attention he just you know he has his head down he doesn't do this I said what have you done to try and get him involved you know I don't have time I have 20 other kids in this classroom well that's not a good excuse you know and so I would go to the principal and he'd say you know I'll try and work with them let's try and get the parent in to sit down with them well the parent didn't want to come because back when they went to school it was the same thing so I had a hard time getting parents to go and talk to parent to, to, to the teachers because as parents they had gone through the same thing their kid did they didn't want to relive that they didn't want their kids to go through it but they didn't want to relive that either by now I hope you're starting to understand the historical trauma inflicted through education that continues to plague these communities today the boarding school era is not exactly ancient history it was a brutal and oppressive era that literally took the identities of untold generations of American Indian and indigenous students. But we see that even the educational efforts that follow the boarding school era were insufficient and either intentionally or unintentionally only continued a pattern of indifference and assimilation of the era. So how do you attempt to upend generations of undersupported education for the people of the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation? You do something that's never been done before in the state. On the next episode of Keynotes. So I started going to our attorney, Peter Ortego, who is our general counsel here. I said, what can I do, Peter? What can I do about this? And he said, start your own school. Keynotes is a production of the Keystone Policy Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Keystone, Colorado, which for more than 45 years has empowered leaders to reach common higher ground. This episode has been made possible by contributions from the Ballantine Family Fund. If you would like to learn more about the Keystone Policy Center, visit our website at keystone.org.